0: The Supreme Court and whoever we decide should sit on the Supreme Court shouldn't be chosen via litmus test and promise votes in particular areas of the law. We will continue to need a justice who will serve independently, even if it goes against the policy preferences of the president who nominated him. And I think as we continue to watch, we have to ask whether or not Judge Gorsuch can truly be the independent justice that the American people are expecting and whether or not the American people deserve.
1: I hope he's given the same threshold that Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan did. Neither of them was filibustered. I think we've seen a very you know, a disjointed response from the Democrats. Some are saying let's filibuster him and frankly, anyone that President Trump puts up for the next 40 years, some are saying, He deserves a hearing, and he deserves an up-or-down vote. I think at the end of the day, we'll see him get that up-or-down vote.
2: Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network.
3: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from a sunny Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And this is Bob Ambroji coming to you from a very sunny Boston, Massachusetts.
4: I wish, in fact, we're in the middle of a blizzard, but that's okay. And I write a blog called Law Sites. I also host another Legal Talk Network program called Law Technology Now, along with Monica Bay.
3: Bob, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Clio and Latera. Latera is the authority on document creation, collaboration, and control. Increase your productivity, collaborate securely, and ensure protection of your vital information. You can learn more at www.latera.com. That's L-I-T-E-R-A.com. And Clio. Clio is the world's leading cloud-based legal management practice software. Thousands of lawyers and legal professionals trust Clio to help grow and simplify their practices. You can learn more at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. On January 31st, President Trump announced that he had
4: selected Neil Gorsuch, a judge of the Tenth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, as his nomination for U.S. Supreme Court to replace late Justice Antonin Scalia.
3: Well, many have praised Trump on his nomination, citing parallels to Justice Scalia, while others saw Judge Gorsuch's documented conservatism as a possible threat to Supreme Court rulings.
4: So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the nomination of Judge Gorsuch, the reaction, his record on rulings, and his potential impact on the Supreme Court, if confirmed. And uh, help us do that. We have a a lineup uh, of two guests. First of all, let me introduce A returning guest, Carrie Severino. Carrie is Chief Counsel and Policy Director of the Judicial Crisis Network. In that capacity, Carrie has testified before Congress on assorted constitutional issues and brief senators on judicial nominations. She's written and spoken on a wide range of judicial issues, particularly constitutional limits on government, the federal nomination process, and state judicial selection. She, early in her career, was a law clerk to U.S. Supreme Court Justice, Justice Clarence Thomas, and also to Judge David B. of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Welcome to the show, Carrie Severino.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me back.
3: And Bob, our next guest is attorney Michelle Giwondo. She's the Vice President for Legal Progress at American Progress. Previously, Michelle served as the general counsel and senior advisor to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democrat from New York, where she was responsible for a wide-ranging portfolio of policy issues pertaining to the federal judiciary and nominations. As a member of Senator Gillibrand's senior staff, she was responsible for leading some of the office's landmark work, including the passage of the 9-11 health bill, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or DADT confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor and Justice Elena Kagan and Senator Gillibrand's trailblazing work on the military and campus sexual assault. Welcome to the show, Michelle.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
3: So, Michelle, let's start out with you. Can you uh, give us a generalized reaction to uh, Judge Gorsuch's nomination?
0: Well, you know, I always think it's important to put this nomination in context of where we are with the Trump administration. In the very early days of the administration, we've seen memos that could potentially reopen and authorize torture. Uh, We've seen a deportation force open up the door um, through executive orders. We've seen an executive order currently being challenged that would ban Muslims and refugees. We've seen the firing of the acting attorney general, and the possible violations of the Constitution's emoluments clause while allowing his senior advisor to replace others on his national security team. And I think what that tells us is that this administration has made very clear that there is a type of agenda that they are putting forth, and now we are at this moment, where a Supreme Court nominee, and we all recognize the great importance of what that means. This isn't just four years of an administration with his relative youth. We're talking about potentially 30 to 40 years. It is incredibly important that we have an independent and sensible check to this type of administration and making sure that this nominee reflects our broad American constitutional values. And so I think that's really Really, where I begin this conversation, and also the evaluation of whether or not Judge Gorsuch can sit on the court.
4: Carrie, let me ask you, I, just as a preliminary matter, I, I noticed that you had clerked for Judge Centel and that Judge Gorsuch also clerked for Judge Centel. Were, were you at all peers uh, in your clerkships? Did you know him at all?
1: No, we, we weren't clerking at the same time. I did. I did get to meet him once. He hosted our annual barbecue for the judge, and so. I got to meet him. Unfortunately, I should have, you know, been more getting along with the host and saying more things. Mostly, I just shook his hand and said thanks so much for hosting. I didn't happen to get to meet him that time, so hopefully, I'll get a chance to uh, going forward. But it's always nice to see former dental clerks doing great things.
4: Well, had you known, uh, you, you probably would have made more of an effort to get to know him. But so, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, what is your reaction? I mean, you've written that. Uh, you wrote an article just yesterday in Real Clear Politics that Democratic hysteria over Gorsuch is predictable posturing. What's your impression of Judge Gorsuch?
1: Well, I was couldn't have been more thrilled with the choice. I think he's brilliant. His academic career is without compare, uh, and he has such a great record on the court. He's been on the, on the court of appeals for more than a decade. Has people who respect him so well from both sides of the aisle. He actually has a, a very high rate of unanimous opinions. He gets along well with his colleagues. And I think he's just someone that is very, very difficult to find any kind of fault with. He's been very explicit about wanting to put politics aside and look at the law as it's written. That's why you have people like Neil Cattle, President Obama's former acting solicitor general, a very qualified but liberal Lawyer who says this is someone that, that liberals should support. There was a, a recent Yale law professor, same thing, saying this is someone that that liberals should say there's there's no one better you're going to find in the court that's willing to stand up for the Constitution and the separation of powers. In particular, I think that's why it, that's why Democrats just want to change the subject. You hear a lot of talk about people complaining about things that President Trump has done, but he's not the one being appointed to the Supreme Court. You know, in four to eight years, you won't have to worry about that anymore. Gorsuch is. And and I think that Michelle is quite correct there. He's, He's someone who'll be there for life. And so we should look at him closely, but you can't try to just change the subject and complain about things that aren't related at all to his own record. Let's talk about his record, which I think is excellent and really stands on its own.
3: Well, let's talk
4: about his record. Michelle, you wrote that you feel that Judge Gorsuch is way out of step with the values and views of the American people. What is it about his record that makes you say that?
0: You know, listen, President Trump made very clear that there was a litmus test for determining who his Supreme Court nominee. Um, When he outsourced this election, he made very clear that the next nominee would need to be ready to overturn Roe versus Wade or expand gun rights. But we know that Supreme Court justices should never be chosen via litmus test. The appropriate measure for any Supreme Court justice, as whether they could faithfully apply the history and the entire text of the Constitution, not just some, and recognizing the very transformative nature of the amendments and the interests of everyone in this country. So when I think about the record of Judge Gorsuch, there are a few things that stand out. Whether or not there is this pattern um, of hostility on issues around women's access to health care, uh, you many recall that in his 2013 ruling in Hobby Lobby, Judge Gorsuch really helped to continue the conversation about corporate personhood and extended that frame to include religious freedoms and religious protections. I mean, he has made clear with that decision that corporations are people, and in addition, closely held corporations even have religious belief under the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act. And I think most Americans don't actually believe that. Now, yes, the Supreme Court later agreed with Judge Gorsuch's views, but that's not quite surprising from a very conservative, pro-business Roberts court. But at the time of that decision, one of the dissenting judges noted that that ruling was unprecedented. In fact, she quoted, the decision of a female employee as to which contraceptive drug or device to use remains a private matter of individual choice. And I think most Americans would agree with
3: that. Carrie, how do you take a look at that? How do you respond to the Democrats' allegation about the stolen seat of Merrick Garland?
1: Yeah, well, let me just quick respond a little bit to the allegations about Hobby Lobby being about something having to do with his hostility to women's rights. I don't think Gorsuch has any any opposition to contraception that I know about. And uh, I think his decision was based entirely in the law, which, as Michelle pointed out, five of the nine justices in the Supreme Court agreed with, that was upheld. It's simply if if you don't like the way the law defines personhood, for example, that's certainly something you can change, but that's not something a judge has the ability to change. His commitment to religious freedom is something that crosses a lot of barriers. For example, in, in the there's a yellow bear case, I believe it's called, he stood up for the rights of a convicted felon who had brutally murdered his own child. I mean a really, really bad guy, right? He wasn't because he loves convicted felons or child murderers. It's because he knew this guy, in this case it was a Native American religion, that he had, he had the right to access a sweat lodge. This isn't something where he made the decision because he agrees with, in that case, the, the owners of Hobby Lobby on their particular religious beliefs. He realizes that that's something that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act actually supports. To go to the stolen seat allegations, this seat doesn't belong to the Democrats, doesn't belong to President Obama, it doesn't belong to Merrick Garland. It belongs to the American people. This is a seat on the United States Supreme Court. The Constitution lays out very clearly how those seats are to be filled, and that's by nomination with the president, confirmation with the advice and consent in the Senate. And the Senate has lots of ways they can choose to give or withhold that advice and consent. There was a lot of people claiming it's unconstitutional not to hold a hearing or not to hold a vote. That's simply false. Two-thirds of the nominations that have been rejected historically, it's been done so without giving them a vote. They're simply not acting on the nomination. So it's something that is clearly constitutional. The Washington Post fact-checker qualified that. And that's what the Republicans were saying at the time is, let's wait for the outcome of the election. Remember, that was back when everyone was pretty sure the Republicans were going to lose that election. So this wasn't a gambit saying, oh, good, now a Republican can replace the seat. No, this was saying, give the American people a voice. It turned out the American people chose differently than everyone thought at the end of October, even they would. They, they said they wanted Donald Trump to fill that seat. So now here we are in a similar situation to where Obama was at the beginning of his presidency, uh, slightly farther in, of course, where he had Justice Sotomayor as a, a replacement on the Supreme Court for a justice Souter. That wasn't one that the Republicans said, no, 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 we don't like this guy. We're going to block everyone who's going to put up. Neither did they do that for Justice Kagan. They gave both of those candidates hearings and an up or down vote. There was no attempt to filibuster them. I I simply think the Democrats ought to offer the same courtesy to Judge Gorsuch.
4: As we are uh, recording this, the talk of the news cycle is Judge Gorsuch's comments yesterday calling the president's recent criticism of the judiciary, quote, disheartening and Demoralizing. Something that everybody seems to agree about, agree on about Judge Gorsuch is, is that he is unlikely to tolerate any excesses of executive branch authority, uh, any misuse of executive branch authority. Michelle, I'm just wondering, does that make you feel <laughs> any better? Uh, are you uh, any more welcoming of the potential of Judge Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, given uh, what's happened over the last couple of days?
0: Well, I I definitely want to respond to that, but I first must raise and bring up kind of the unprecedented moment that we found ourselves in last year with Chief Judge Merrick Garland. You know, this was the first time in history we saw members of the Senate, Republican members of the Senate, who didn't have the decency to meet with the most what many considered the most experienced, moderate nominee. He was not beloved across the progressive community. He was someone who was often seen as, a, um, in some ways, an olive branch to Republicans in the Senate. And remember, this opening occurred in February of 2016. You know, many people say, oh, this was an election year. Yes, and history tells us that appointments and confirmations of Supreme Court justices, even in recent history with Justice Kennedy, have happened. So I think it's important to kind of recognize that, to recognize the kind of level of disrespect that many people felt that Merrick Garland experienced through that process, and someone who, um, I think, people on both sides of the aisle talked about what type of person and what type of judge he would be. And I think there are many Democrats who are still smarting from dealing with that process and are right now are kind of pushing back on kind of the speed that we see occurring with this nominee, especially after a year of not moving forward on Merrick Garland. So I had to make sure that I mentioned that as we continue the conversation. Um, You know, earlier this week, Roger Stone, uh, who is one of President Trump's advisors, said that if Trump is going to be a transformational president, not a transitional president, he needs a supportive court, not a conservative court and not a right-wing court, a Trump court. I think those words are incredibly dangerous. And I think Kerry is right that we can't put our beliefs on who should be on the court or the court or the seat belonging to anyone. It is the people's court. And so I think what where you find concern about Judge Gorsuch is whether or not he has the independence to reject such a dangerous agenda. Will he just be a rubber stamp for this administration? Or will he move the Supreme Court and manners that are as extreme as we've seen over the past few weeks, and that is a sentiment... Don't, don't you I
4: think, think his Don't you think his record shows that he does have the the backbone to reject overstepping by the administration?
0: Well, I I I don't think. That. Uh, Quite frankly, I mean, okay, let's give an example. So there's this Riddle versus Hickenlooper case, and where uh, Judge Gorsuch joined a Tenth Circuit panel in um, striking down what many considered an ill advised Colorado statute that imposed lower campaign contribution limits. On minor party candidates. Now, what's troubling about that opinion is that Judge Gorsuch, in a concurring opinion, suggested that making a political contribution was a fundamental right and that it should be afforded the highest form of constitutional protections, which many of your listeners are familiar with as knowing um, as strict scrutiny review. Now, listen, as the highest form of our constitutional protections, we usually reserve strict scrutiny for our most precious rights, whether we're talking about just free from discrimination on the basis of race or religion or the right to express an unpopular viewpoint, sometimes the court doesn't even apply that level of restrictions on the right to vote itself. But in recent years, we've seen the Supreme Court kind of move in this direction of applying strict scrutiny to laws uh, governing money and politics. And if the court were to follow that reasoning from Judge Gorsuch and apply strict scrutiny laws to um, laws governing our direct contributions to candidates, I think many people are concerned that the remaining protections that we have around money and politics would similarly fall. And to me, that is not a in the mainstream view. That is an extreme view. That is a view that I think is out of step with the American people and is quite troubling about his record.
3: Well, thank you, Michelle. But before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. Documents are the currency of business. They represent you in every business interaction. Executives need to know what changes have occurred in documents, what metadata risks exist, and how to encrypt, share, and collaborate securely. Latera simplifies the document creation and collaboration process to protect you from risk and loss of reputation offers better solutions for document life cycle management so you can focus on doing what really matters. www.laterra.com
4: Clio is an invaluable software solution for law firms of all sizes, handling all the demands of your growing practice from a single cloud-based platform. Clio enhances your firm with features such as matter and document management, Time tracking and even billing. Clio is an effortless tool that helps lawyers focus on what they do best. To practice law. Learn more at Clio.com. That's
3: C-L-I-O.com. Well, welcome back to Lawyer Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams and Bob Ambrosi, my co-host. With us today is Carrie Severino, the Chief Counsel and Policy Director of the Judicial Crisis Network and attorney Michelle Jawondo. She's the Vice President for Legal Progress at American Progress. And we've been discussing the nomination of General Gorsuch to the Supreme Court by President Trump and some recent political developments. Kerry, what's your reaction to the sense that Judge Gorsuch has stepped up and said that uh, disagreed with President Trump regarding his criticism of the Washington judge who's proposed a temporary TRO on his travel ban?
1: Well, I actually, I'm not sure that that characterization is quite correct. That was how, how Senator Blumenthal characterized it. I, I was surprised that he even commented about that, because my understanding was that the, the discussions that were going on behind those closed doors were actually confidential ones. But obviously, Senator Lumenthal didn't think so. But uh, Senator Ayotte, former Senator Ayotte, who was there and has been escorting uh, Judge Gorsuch, clarified that he wasn't. He, as a judge, must he under ethics rules, he was not commenting on the specific that specific case. But he he did say that it was disheartening when presidents, probably like President Obama as well were um, are commenting on cases. I'll add, however, that presidents uh, commenting on Supreme Court cases, uh, sometimes much more forcefully than President Trump has done, it's hardly a new thing. You have President Jackson saying, you know, they have their ruling if he could let him enforce it. That's much more threatening, or something like FDR threatening to pack the court to try to get a court that would be more uh, friendly to his opinion. You know, so there's there's a long history of people who are much much more aggressive in their in their criticism, and I would say that President Obama's own um, remarks at the State of the Union address certainly fall into that category of of something that's that was much more direct even than what President Trump has done. Uh, to quickly comment though on the on the First Amendment case that Michelle commented, I just I just add that I think it's kind of strange to be surprised that someone would apply strict scrutiny to something that actually has serious First Amendment implications, that is the right of free speech and political speech is part of speech. I know there's there's obviously a lot of debate as to what extent the ability to fund your political speech is part of those free speech rights, but it's hardly something that is unusual or out of the mainstream in any way. There was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal recently summarizing some of the statistics on Judge Gorsuch, and it's shocking that anyone with with numbers like these could be considered out of the mainstream. He has had eight cases that he appealed up to the Supreme Court. Seven of those, the Supreme Court upheld his decision, four of them unanimously. So that means Justice Breyer, Justice Ginsburg, Justice Kagan all agreed that he was correct. That's not someone who's out of the mainstream. On the 10th Circuit, a circuit where 7 out of 12 of of the active judges are Democratic appointees, he has a 98% unanimity rating. So less than 2% of the cases he has decided even have separate opinions. That is someone who is absolutely not only in the mainstream, but actually has a great record of collegiality and working with his colleagues. So I know those are concerns that the Democrats may have in general about judges. They simply don't fit when you're talking about Judge Gorsuch.
4: The comparison that's being made from President Trump on down is to the justice he would replace, the Justice Scalia. Carrie, how accurate, in your view, is that? How much in the mold of Justice Scalia is Judge Gorsuch?
1: Oh, very much so. Obviously, the list of judges Trump put out originally was designed to find people who had that approach to the law. And I think Judge Gorsuch was a great pick among it because he does have so many similar characteristics. A lot of people point to his writing style. He's very eloquent very witty, I think a little bit less biting perhaps than Justice Scalia sometimes. Justice Scalia could be a very sharp uh, contender uh, sometimes, especially in his dissents, of course. Uh, Judge Gorsuch has, I think, all of that same wit and um, really a fun writing style, but very clear and easy to read as well. I think the other area people point to in terms of comparing him to Justice Scalia is his real concern about the separation of powers, and preserving those constitutional limits on government. Uh, he actually may go even farther than certainly than Justice Scalia did early on in his career, right? although I think he more reflects where Justice Scalia was toward the end of his career in terms of skepticism about court deference to administrative agencies. But all of those, and I think the other area where he reminds me of Scalia is his willingness to write separately to clarify his own view of something. I love that in one case, he actually wrote a concurrence to his own opinion. So that just shows you he really wants to, you know, take the time to explain and get it right. But also that he understands that this is not something that the entire court's going to agree to. So he's not someone who's going to try to just write it and, and strong arm everyone into buying into. He understands how to build that consensus, but then, you know, added his own footnote at the end.
3: So, Michelle, let's take a look to the future here before we wrap things up. Uh, what do you think we're looking at in the future? How many more Openings may occur in the next four years, and who do you see on the shortlist for those openings?
0: Well, you know, listen, I think um, the American people deserve a, a process as thorough and as unsparing as is possible, particularly in this kind of politically charged moment in history. You know, at Uh, Judge Gorsuch hearings in 2006, he stated precedent is something to be respected and honored, and it's unacceptable for a judge to try to impose his own personal views. Look, if that is true, then that would be a great thing. But I think from a, a number of initial reviews of the record, there's a question about whether or not he meets that same high standard set forth by even a Merrick Garland. And I think when there are these litmus tests that President Trump has applauded in kind of making his selection. The American people are are left wondering whether or not Judge Gorsuch can truly be independent. And I think those are the questions that you will see Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats asking over the next uh, few weeks and months Look, you know, you can never guess what will happen with the court, but I do think that this is a a, a real pivotal moment because of, I have heard great things about Judge Gorsuch in terms of his collegiality and his relationship, and obviously as a former Kennedy clerk, there's a certain amount of kind of palace intrigue. Was he the selection so Justice Kennedy feels like he can retire and then open up another spawn on the court. So I think, you know, we will be having a number of these conversations, uh, uh, hopefully continue to be um, friendly, al- although on different sides of, of these issues in the m- months and weeks to come, because we are at a, such a crucial moment in the court. And I think the American people deserve to see these arguments um, played out. I think they deserve to hear these questions. And I think Democrats, as well as Republicans, should recognize that for each of President Obama's nominees for Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan, there was a threshold of bipartisan support that both of their nominees were able to achieve. And I don't think that that standard should be eliminated when it comes to consideration of this nominee. And that's incredibly important as we continue to move forward over the next weeks and months.
3: Okay, well, it looks like we've just about reached the end of our programs. It's time to wrap up and invite our guests to share their final thoughts along with their contact information for our listeners. So, Carrie, let's turn it over to you.
1: Yeah, so I am really excited to watch the confirmation hearings. I, I agree with Michelle. It's going, to be, it's going to be great to hear him because he, he is going to be very articulate, and it, he's going to be a delight to listen to. I hope he's given the same threshold that Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan did. <laughs> Neither of them was filibustered. I think we've seen a very you know, a disjointed response from the Democrats. Some are saying, let's filibuster him and, frankly, anyone that President Trump puts up for the next 48 years. Some are saying he deserves a hearing and he deserves an up-or-down vote. I think at the end of the day you will see him get that up or down vote, and I think he will continue to build a large base of bipartisan support. I hope so, because I think you know, turning this into just a simply a partisan referendum on last November's election is the wrong response this is about the Supreme Court. This isn't about whether or not the Democrats are happy with President Trump. If you want to hear more about, about what we're doing, we're at judicialnetwork.com. I tweet at JCN Severino, and uh, we also have at Judicial Network on Twitter. And then we have a website, confirmgorsuch.com, that has a video and some information about the justice, but including his not just his bio, but his legal uh, background, some some summary of those legal themes that he's done, as well as uh, other resources
0: on the judge.
3: Great. Well, thank you very much. Michelle?
0: It is has been a privilege to join you uh, this afternoon. I think I'll start where I began that the Supreme Court and whoever we decide to sit on the Supreme Court shouldn't be chosen via litmus tests and promise votes in particular areas of the law. We will continue to need a justice who will serve independently, even if it goes against the policy preferences of the president who nominated him. And I think as we continue to watch, we have to ask whether or not Judge Gorsuch can truly be the independent justice that the American people are expecting expecting and whether Are not the American people deserve, um, particularly at this moment in history. You can find me on Twitter, at Michelle, with one L, Jawando, J-A-W-A-N-D-O. We also, uh, the Center for American Progress, you can find us on Twitter, A-M-P-R-O-G. And our program, Why Courts Matter, somewhat of a civics lesson for the American people, I think, that continues to play out um, with each passing day more and more. We have additional information about our concerns about the judge's record um, and also ways for people to get involved. And you can go to whycourtsmatter.org or follow us on Twitter at Why Matter. And thank you so much again for the invitation to join you today.
4: Well, thank you very much. We really appreciated you taking the time to be with us today. We've been talking with Kerry Severino, Chief Counsel and Policy Director of the Judicial Crisis Network and Attorney Michelle Jawando, Vice President for Legal Progress at American Progress. And uh, that brings us to the end of another episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. Uh, on behalf of everybody at the Legal Talk Network, thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think Lawyer to Lawyer.
2: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi for their next podcast covering the latest legal topic.